1: Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wassalatu wassalamu la asrafi mursaleen Wa ala ahlihi wa sakhfihi ajma'een Rabbi shrakh li amri Wahlul ahlul Bilisani, bin lisani yafqaw qawli Assalamu wa warahmatullahi My dear brothers and sisters Over the past few weeks We have once again witnessed Heartbreaking attacks On our sacred masjid Masjid al-Aqsa and on our brothers and sisters in Gaza and other parts of the blessed land of Palestine by the apartheid terrorist-occupying Jewish entity. In the blessed month of Ramadan, we saw Zionist forces raiding and desecrating Al-Aqsa and terrorizing innocent Muslim worshippers, including women, children, and the elderly, with tear gas, stun grenades, and rubber bullets. There were reports of elderly and children choking and suffocating on the tear gas, and some worshippers being blinded by the rubber bullets. Many were also beaten by the Zionist forces, including women. Hundreds of Palestinians were injured by these attacks. And now we see the Zionist army pummeling Gaza once again with countless airstrikes. The blood of our Ummah, now runs through its streets once again almost 200 palestinians having been killed including over 40 children so far gaza as we know has been transformed into the world's largest concentration camp where its people are suffering a huge humanitarian crisis due to the brutal 15 year long blockade by the criminal jewish entity we have witnessed such heart-breaking scenes again and again and again over the last seven decades of occupation of this blessed land of Palestine. The suffering, the oppression, the loss and humiliation that our dear brothers and sisters have suffered on a daily basis in this land, as well as the reoccurring violations against our sacred sites, by this usurping occupation is relentless. So, I ask, who will respond to this bloodbath? What will end this brutal occupation once and for all? How can we establish security and protection for our dear Ummah across the whole of Palestine? These are the issues we hope to address in this discussion today, inshallah. I am Umbilal. Bilal, and I will be your host for today. And I am joined by my three panelists to discuss this topic. Al-Aqsa and Gaza are bleeding. Who will respond? Firstly, I have with me today Dr. Nasri Nawaz, who is the Director of the Women's Section in the Central Media Office of ut tahrir Secondly, I also have with me today Sister Surya Amal-Yasna, who is also a member of the Central Media Office of ut tahrir and also with me today is Sister Sarah Muhammad, who is a member of hizb in America. Jazakumullah Haran for all three of the sisters for joining me today in this important discussion. Before I begin, mm. I will also like to remind my viewers, and I would like to kindly ask all of you watching today, to please share the link to this discussion, be it on Facebook, your WhatsApp groups, or any other social media network and with all your friends, families, and contacts. Jazakumullah, Hayran. as uh, my dear sisters. Uh, and I'd like to begin with uh, my first question, inshallah, which is addressed to yourself, Sister Surya. as alaikum, Sister Surya. Can Salaam. you please explain, can you please explain the politics behind this recent brutal assault on Al-Aqsa and its worshippers by the Zionist occupation as well as the murderous attacks on Muslims in Gaza.
2: Over to you, sister. Sorry, yeah? Yeah. Um was Muhammad wa the politics, broadly speaking, with this current brutal assault, firstly on Al-Aqsa and its worshippers, is a is the reality of the ongoing occupation of the blessed lands uh, of of Al-Aqsa in in Blessed Lands of Palestine by the Zionist occupying entity and its illegal expansionism and more specifically, it's been uh, recently um, occurring this expansionism within the West Bank and in particular of six Palestinian families in their homes in Jara, um who have been living legally in those homes for decades. And we've seen, of course, on social media as how these Zionist thugs have come in and have tried to remove um, the Muslims there in Jarrah from their homes, backed up by the Zionists, thugs furthermore um, as they try to lay claims homes according to whichever legal uh, uh, references that they are referring to and I understand in uh, ironically that they are um, records from the Uthmani Hilafa that they're laying claim to these uh, these homes. Um, and we can see in response to this uh, increasing expansionism of occupation of the West Bank there in Palestine that Muslims have been protesting You know, uh, understandably so as a result, um, not only by the families themselves but and those in the area, but by Muslims uh, across Palestine. And this is notably observable um, on the last Friday prayers um, at Masjid al-Aqsa, where the Muslims were protesting um, against uh, this uh, um the removal of these Palestinian families from their homes. So we can see that's one particular issue um, that's related politically to what's happening uh, in Al Aqsa. Um, secondly, we've also witnessed um, the um, ex- the blocking of Muslims who've been wanting during the month of Ramadan to pray at Masjid Al Aqsa, in particular during the last 10, 10 days of Ramadan and those important ten nights where they were wanting to go and um, carry out Iktikaf and 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 do their prayers there, Tarawi prayers there, but they were being blocked by the Zionist um, criminals there. And um, you know, Muslims from across Palestine were trying to travel to Masjid al-Aqsa. They were on buses, for example. They were being prevented from continuing on their journey. So you know, they basically went on foot, and uh, you know, many Muslim youth were coming and collecting them in their cars to help them carry onwards with their journeys. Um, we've also seen, as a consequence of these protests, that were against the um the, the claiming of illegal claiming of the lands in Shek, the homes in Sheikh Jarrah, that there's this punishment as a consequence of this protesting and the storming of Masjid al-Aqsa the holy sanctity of Islam by the Zionist uh, police, where they stormed on Friday night, um, which is the seventh of May, for the four, four corresponding days up until um, the eve of of um, of Eid, um, and during that particular time, they went in with their um, sound bombs. They were firing rubber-coated bullets. They were throwing um, tear gas within the masjid itself of of, Al- of al-Aqsa, injuring. Hundreds and hundreds of of Muslims that were simply praying within the confines there. Um, We've seen the imagery across social media. Um, so that was another political issue that was going on, and we've also seen um, something unusual happening within um, the Zionist entity it them so itself, and that's the situation of Palestinian um, Muslims who do reside within that Zionist entity as as, um, as residents there, and they their properties have been destroyed by these Zionist thugs, um, their homes, their, their businesses, and and we've seen imagery, of course, within the streets. Furthermore, of of individuals being attacked unconsciously um, and that's within um, in reference to Alexa. When we go on to Gaza now we can see once again the Muslims in Gaza um, have been brutally attacked and killed by the Zionist regime and, and their military arsenal. They've been bombing for days since that to the the 7th of of May until now, um, until today, and we've seen the escalation furthermore of this bombing um, of not only whole apartment buildings that have been destroyed, refugee camps, whole families have been killed, and uh, up until today it's noted that 145 Muslims have lost their lives there and 41 of these um, Muslims who have lost their lives have been children. So clearly these attacks on uh, the Muslims of Gaza is a significant attack upon the children of Gaza as well. And so the Muslims consequently and the women and children have tried to seek refuge fleeing to the um, UNRWA-run schools, trying to seek whatever shelter they are able to find. They don't have, like the the Zionists do, um, underground bunkers to flee to where millions are apparently residing there. But we without any protection being attacked and you know we can read the heart wrenching stories of, of our muslim sisters and 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 me for example on read on twitter the mother there in gaza she was do i do anything for my people and all What did we do this? And my family said, they just hate us. They don't like us because we are Muslims. And you see, all the kids are kids, she said. And why would you send, just send a missile to them and kill them? It's not fair. So this is clearly a brutal attack that's currently being um, conducted and very fast speeds and um, subhanAllah, it's, um, it's criminal indeed as we speak
1: at the minute. Sister Nasreen, if I just come to you with my next question, it's clear that this is from neighborhoods in Jerusalem over the last year. So can you uh, please explain,
0: uh, Sister Nasreen? This apartheid, terrorist, Zionist entity has been intensifying its efforts to essentially annihilate annihilate the presence of palestinians from jerusalem zakaria ode who is the coordinator for the civil coalition for palestinian rights in jerusalem he stated that last year basically during the whole pandemic that was the highest rate of settlement expansion in east jerusalem on record with about 4500 units that have been built and of course all of this requires our brothers and sisters of Palestine, to to be expelled from their homes in order to build these Jewish settlements. According to the UN, um, 689 structures have been demolished across the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, in 2020 alone, just in one year, subhanAllah. This is more than any year since 2016, leaving almost 900 Palestinians homeless, men, women, and children. And also there was a nearly fourfold increase in the number of people who are displaced from their homes just from January to August 2020. That's like a 55% increase. 55% increase in the structures that have been targeted for demolition, for confiscation by the Jewish entity of land, of homes, compared to the year earlier. And Sheikh, Sheikh Jarrah which is a neighborhood in East Jerusalem, is currently one of the main locations, as Sister Soraya mentioned, for this forced, convic- forced eviction of Palestinian families from their homes. I mean, 38 families in this neighborhood, they live daily under the threat of being evicted from their homes by Jewish settlers who are mainly funded by private U.S. organizations, settler organizations, who are claiming spuriously that this land is theirs When these families, Palestinian families have lived in this neighborhood for, you know, six decades, subhanAllah, and dozens of of these families now face uh, imminent imminent, uh, eviction, these kind of um, attacks on Sheikh Jarrah by Jewish, no thugs as Sister Surya has mentioned, has been going on for years. There was an incident a few years ago where some thugs and settlers, they attacked the homes of Muslims in Sheikh Jarrah and our sisters were thrown out of their homes in their night garments. And your neighbours were trying to help them, you know, provide them clothes and so on. And one sister in the neighbourhood says that now she goes to sleep wearing her khimar and her jilbab out of fear that her house is going to be raided by these thugs. So, the Muslims in Sheikh Jarrah, across Al Quds, you know, across Palestine and across Gaza today, they live in fear, they sleep in fear. Recently, there was a video of a sister in Sheikh Jarrah confronting a Jewish settler who's trying to steal her home. And arrogantly, this is what he said to her. He said that if I don't steal your home, then someone else will. And he said that if I go, then you don't come back. This total conviction that the homes of our brothers and sisters can be taken at will by any Jewish settler and that there will be no government, no state, no ruler to come to their aid. And just at the beginning of this month, the um, Zionist forces, they stormed this neighborhood and they beat and they shot tear gas and sound bombs at the residents. And this is a familiar tactic, as we know, a terror tactic that's used by the Zionist occupation in order to terrorize Palestinian Muslims into leaving their homes. And not only this, the humiliation that's faced within these neighborhoods, SubhanAllah, the, the, the court case that they're fighting, you know, they're fighting in order to keep their own homes. If they lose these court cases, the Palestinians, they have to pay $20,000 of legal costs to the ones who are trying to steal their homes. Can you believe yeah. this? And even, um, I mean, the court has told these families, look, you can have an agreement. We'll postpone the, uh, the, 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 the um, e- edict on this. You can postpone it if you have an agreement with the settlers. You know what that agreement is based upon? The agreement is based upon the Palestinian families accepting those who are trying to steal their homes to be their landlords, paying rent to them. That's the level of humiliation. You know they have to give up their uh, land ownership in order to accept these people who are stealing their homes to be their landlords. And Sheikh Jarrah is, like we mentioned, just one of the neighborhoods in Jerusalem that are facing Palestinians yeah. are facing forced eviction from. You have Al Bustan area and so on, where 119 families. In 88 buildings, they're faced under the threat of demolition, and uh, it's going to be replaced by so-called Zionist archaeological park. Wadi Yasul, 84 homes under threat of demolition to make way for the expansion of a Zionist national park. SubhanAllah. So many have described this as a continuation of the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from this blessed land that started with the Nakba in 1948, the catastrophe, and uh, this criminal land grab, by these Jewish settlers is just part of the Zionist agenda of the Judaization of Jerusalem. It's part of their greater Jerusalem plan, which includes changing the demographics of this so that the majority of the inhabitants are Jews and the Palestinians are a minority. So yes, absolutely, there's an annihilation, an ethnic cleansing of of Palestinians that's going on in Al-Quds at the moment.
1: Jazakallah, Sister Nasreen, um, for that um, clarification and the clarity with which you described the forced evictions, the ethnic cleansing that is happening, and on top of that, the brutal attacks of the innocent people of Palestine, inshallah. Sister Sarah, coming to yourself now, uh, will the change in the U.S. presidency under Biden, in your opinion, change America's approach in dealing with the Zionist entity? Uh, sister Sarah I I can't hear you you speaking at the minute.
3: Assalamu alaykum, yeah. sister Sarah. Okay okay. And- Wa alaikum Wa alaikum Uh rahim. Uh, yes yeah, so in uh I'm going to start I'll give a little bit of a background here. Um in 1944 the the US state department described the Arabian Peninsula as uh as um, constituting a stupendous source of strategic power and the greatest material prize in the world's history. Therefore, it was imperative for the United States to have a stronghold in the region, and that stronghold is the Zionist entity, which protects U.S. interests in the region. In return, the U.S. provides the Jews with the standard of living and prosperity, um, for which the Zionist entity will for dependent upon. The close relationship between the U.S. and the Zionist entity has been one of the most noticeable features in U.S. foreign policy, and the Zionist entity has been one of the most uh, for nearly four and a half decades. The approximately $4 billion in military and economic aid sent annually to the Zionist entity by Washington is rarely questioned in Congress, even by Democrats who have in the past challenge U.S. aid to governments that engage in widespread violation of human rights or by conservatives who usually oppose foreign aid in general. According to the Congressional Research Service, Israel is the largest cumulative recipient of U.S. foreign assistance since World War II. Now, all this money uh, is not given for nothing. In exchange, the Zionist entity provides the U.S. with invaluable... with um, Uh, With invaluable information about weapons effectiveness, innovative military technology like missile defense systems and border surveillance technology, and shares intelligence and battle-proven military doctrines. The U.S. military also conducts annual military exercises with them. If the United States had any interest in putting an end to the aggression against Palestine and Masjid al-Aqsa, then they would not be signing agreements with the Zionist occupiers, giving them billions of dollars in military aid. Now while, now, while President Trump was very open and obvious in his support of the Zionist entity when he moved the U.S. consulate to Jerusalem, and he even referred to himself as history's most pro-Israel U.S. president, the same, uh, the same support and protection is afforded to the Jewish entity regardless of who is in office. During his APEC speech, Obama stated that following regarding his support for the Zionist occupiers and i quote that is a commitment that both john mccain and i share because support for israel and this country goes beyond party this comment explains the nature of the political environment in america the republicans and the democrats have differences in styles but they are united when it comes to their goals and methods of implementing and spreading secularism and capitalism Mm -hmm. furthermore Obama stated, our friendship is rooted deeply in a shared history and shared values. Our commitment to Israel's security is unshakable. And in January 2009, after a Gaza massacre, um, he said, America is committed to Israel's security, and we will always support Israel's right to defend itself against legitimate threats. Obama repeated the same thing in 2014 when the occupying forces attacked Gaza. The same thing can be said for the current president and vice president who both have a history of unadulterated support for the Zionist entity. For example, uh, Vice President Harris has been on the scene since 2017, and the position she has taken during her tenure as senator has definitely placed her in a pro-Zionist camp. Harris highlighted in the first resolution she co-sponsored in a 2017 speech at Mm APAC's policy conference That it would help combat anti Israel bias at the United Nations and reaffirm the United States uh, that that the United States seek a just and secure, sustainable two state solution. Likewise, in 2017, Harris voted uh, for a unanimously passed resolution that expressed support for the 1995 legislation that deems Jerusalem as the undivided capital of Israel. She has also said, so having grown up, this is a quote from uh, Vice, uh, Vice President Harris. So having grown up in the Bay Area, I fondly remember those Jewish National Fund boxes that we would use to collect donations to plant trees for Israel. JNF's sister group in Israel, uh, JNF, has been embroiled in legal battles to forcibly remove Palestinian families from their homes in East Jerusalem. And when asked in 2019 by the New York Times whether Israel meets international standards for, of human rights, Harris said overall yes, adding, I think Israel as a country is dedicated to being a democracy and is one of our closest friends in that region, and that we should understand the shared values and priorities that we have as a democracy and conduct foreign policy in a way that is consistent with understanding the alignment between the American people and the people of Israel. President Biden is the same. He has a decades long record of support for the Zionist entity. He has pointed out several times that he has a long and deep connection to Israel, which stretches back to a trip to meet with then uh, Prime Minister Golda Meir, when he was a freshman Senator. Uh, while a Senator Biden famously said, It's about time we stop apologizing for our support for Israel. There's no apology to be made. Not uh, three billion investment we make. If there weren't an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent uh, would have to invent an Israel to protect her interests in the region. Subhanallah. Yeah. In 2015, he said, Israel is absolutely essential, absolutely essential for the security of Jews around the world. And that's why you have never farmed out your security. You've accepted all the help we can give you. The most admirable thing about you is you've never asked us to fight for you. But I promise you, if you were attacked and overwhelmed, we would fight for you, in my view. Now, while President Biden has been critical about the Jewish entity settlements, in, you know in the palestinian areas it has never been backed by any action in fact netanyahu has said that the people of israel consider the the biden family to be part of their be part of their family with the current military aggression against the people of palestine gaza and meshedel al aqsa president biden has reiterated his continued support for the Zionist entity, where he condemned the rocket attacks by Hamas and other terrorist groups, including against Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. He has also conveyed his support for the Zionist entity's so-called legitimate right to defend itself and its people while protecting civilians. Even within their membership in the UN, the United States has has always showed their staunch support for the Zionist occupation. Permanent members of the UN... For example, use the veto to defend their interest their national interests or to uphold a tenet of their foreign policy, and the u s is not any different since nineteen seventy the u s has used their any other permanent member, most frequently mm-hmm. to block decisions that it regards as detrimental to the interests of Zionists of the Zionist occupation. Time and time again, the United States uh, yes.
1: Yes, sure, Sister Sarah, I'll let you just continue and finish with that, inshallah.
3: Okay, inshallah. Time and time again, the U.S. has turned a blind eye against, um, uh, you know, against the aggression. Yeah. Yeah, against uh, the atrocities that have taken place against the people of Palestine by the Zionist occupiers. From the restrictions placed on their travel, to access to medicine and education, to the arrests and torture of men, women, and children, to the indiscriminate murder and bombing that takes place whenever they want, or even put a stop to any resolution that may have stopped the aggression. While we may hear some words of condemnation here and there against the Zionist entity from U.S. politicians, they are never met with any actions, and that is because American policy on the Zionist entity the global economy and support of dictators in the Muslim world go hand in hand. And it's driven by its viewpoint on life, which is that man has the right to set up whatever his wish. Therefore, they will continue to support the Zionist entity, the dictators and occupied Muslim lands based on their needs to acquire resources and to secure the profits of their corporations, as well as um, ensure that Ummah does not have a chance to launch an alternative Mm. Uh, you know, system, which is the Khilafah system. Um, yeah. Just so not with this kind this of this ready, got- record, believing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was just going to say, you know, so believing much. that. Yeah. I sure. was just going to say quickly, believing that President Biden or any other Democrat or U.S. politician is going to come to the aid of our occupied sisters and brothers in Palestine and go against the Zionist occupiers is really political naivety.
1: JazakAllah for Sister Sarah, I mean, uh, what really stuck out to me uh, out of everything that you have just informed us of there is the fact that Biden said if Israel didn't exist, we would have to create one. And that in itself shows that, as you said, that to believe that anything will change is the height of political naivety. Um, Moving on, inshallah, to my uh, next question, which is addressed to yourself, Sister Zarelia. And just moving on to discuss how this assault against Al-Aqsa and the continuing oppression and terrorizing of Muslims in Palestine, how can it be dealt with in the West? Some Muslims are uh, encouraging of the Muslims as, we'll, as we speak to lobby the MPs, MPs or ministers in government in order that these states move to protect and support the Muslims of Palestine against the various injustices enacted against them. So, Sister Soraya, do you think that such lobbying will help?
4: Uh, Quite frankly, no. Um, The situation of lobbying in a democratic system, generally speaking, is a very corrupt process. Um, We know that it allows uh, for this this ability of wealthy individuals and corporations to be able to lobby and fund electoral candidates um, with, of course, this expected returns of favours as a result. And for Muslims, it's, furthermore, it's, it's a futile practice um, that they would think that they would be able to, within this uh, un-Islamic democratic political system, be able to have any impact upon the Palestinian cause. Um, it's it's obviously not a new uh, problem there in in the Muslim lands in in Palestine, and of course lobbying has you know taken place previously many a times, and and of course it's a, a it's it's futile in the sense that um, what on earth do they think that these MPs would be able to be achieving by lobbying, for example? Um, perhaps they may receive a sympathetic ear to what's happening. Uh, but the references in which they'd be referring to um, as to what would be mm-hmm. concerning for them to then even raise such issues after they've lobbied them would be along the lines of human rights abuses that have been um, ignored by the Zionist entity. Uh, it would be the, the, the ignorance of international law um, that they continuously flout uh, time and time again, whether it's in reference to the settlers um, and their occupations. Of current, uh, with the case of Sheikh Jarrah, for example, uh, mm-hmm. as as a citing example, um, or or would it be because they're not adhering, the Zionist entity is not adhering to particular international treaties and and particular international laws. Um, so we know that if by lobbying these MPs, um, that um, that they would, you know, in accordance with those concerns that they have, um, be you know responding accordingly to. Um, and, and We know that the issue of, of reversing this occupation, this illegal occupation in Palestine, is clearly never going to happen within these Western secular democratic institutions, knowing first and foremost that it, it is the British initially, of course, as we know, as a result of the destruction of the Uthman Khilafah and by them having their Palestinian mandate and then you know, with the Balfour Declaration uh, together with, at the time, the League of Nations that then turned into the United Nations, that they themselves have brought about the existence of the State of Israel, the Zionist State of Allah. So do, do we expect that this um, the, the lobbying of MPs would be, um, something successful in reference to the realities on the ground, um, that affects the Muslims of Palestine and the continuing occupation and the expansionism illegally of, of the, of the, the lands and, and homes of Palestinians. Um, knowing that it's clearly a red line, um, that, um, that, that, uh, these, these MPs, even if they, even if they wanted to, to, um, you know, seriously focus on on these crimes wouldn't be able to do so because the systems themselves have set up such a reality that exists as part of the international structure today, the international architecture that mm. exists um, with these international organisations. So, you know, the the parliaments would would be um, unable; these MPs wouldn't be able to have any effect. The international organisations, of course, keep the existence of this Zionist entity in place, and so therefore, it's seriously mm. is a futile attempt. Um, by the Muslims, and they continue to keep doing this. I mean, how many times has the Zionist entity carried out such brutality, such war crimes, you know, such bombing campaigns in 2014, um, which is the, the most recent times, and, and, the ongoing, you know, crimes that they commit daily on a day-to-day, um, basis prior to Masjid al-Aqsa and, um, and the storming of, of the, of, of the Holy Lands there, the, the holy sanctity there. Um, You know, Muslims are still being shot in the West Bank. There was an old lady, six-year-old lady. She was shot with no weapons. A young boy, um, 16 years of age, was also killed. This is their daily reality and, and of course, it's highly accelerated at the moment, but the crimes continue and lobbying certainly doesn't achieve anything.
1: Absolutely. JazakAllah for that, Sister Soraya. My
4: next question naturally leads back to
1: you, Sister Nasreen, um, that many still look to the United Nations uh, to help the the Muslims of Palestine, unfortunately, uh, feeling that this is the only practical way to stop the brutality and the crimes of the Jewish occupation against our ummah and the deen in this blessed land. So what are your thoughts on this, Sister Nasreen?
0: Okay, so sister, expecting the United Nations to help the Muslims of Palestine is like expecting the one who aided and abetted a criminal to help you against that criminal. You know, wasn't it the United Nations that helped establish the Zionist occupation in Palestine? Wasn't it the UN Resolution 181, which was passed in 1947, which recommended the partitioning, Of Palestine into Jewish and Arab states? Wasn't it UN resolution 242 that laid the basis of the so called borders of this Jewish entity? Yeah, um, accepting its theft and sanctioning its theft of Palestinian lands. Yeah, isn't it the UN who has passed resolution after resolution against? um the, the zionist occupation and issued report after report about the violation of the rights of palestinians in this land and yet nothing right no action to take even no sanctions which are even basic level of taken against the issue of of uh, the zionist occupation in fact you know like since the foundation of the un human rights council in 2006 there have been more uh, resolution passed against the Jewish occupation, then the rest of the world combined. Subhanallah. And yet, regardless of all of this, the United Nations has taken no uh, action against it. So it's witnessed the brutal occupation, the stealing of lands, the uh, systematic arrest and torture of Palestinian children, the thousands of innocents that have been killed, this 15 year long siege of Gaza, the bombing of Gaza with phosphorus bombs the UN has witnessed all of this with nothing so seven long decades of brutal occupation of the Palestinians by this Jewish entity and seven long decades of silence of the UN in terms of action towards this brutal occupation and this is because the UN has been a master of distraction of diversion and deception in terms of dealing with the political and humanitarian crisis of the world, presenting false hopes and promises to the people, while in reality just buying time for dictators like Assad, for uh, occupations like the Zionist entity or the Hindu state in Kashmir, buying these oppressors and um, occupiers time to fulfill their agendas according to the of the colonial Western powers and other superpowers of today. So the UN has only ever been a tool to maintain the status quo in terms of the balance of power between the colonial powers and superpowers of the world today. And really it epitomizes the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah where he says, and when it's said to them, do not cause corruption on the earth, they say we're only peacemakers. And Allah says unquestionably, they are the ones who are the corruptors but they perceive it not. And for those who still hold on to a glimmer of hope that the UN will basically come to the rescue of the Palestinians or to protect them, I want to demolish two fantasies, two fantasies. The first fantasy is the idea that UN is a neutral body that stands equally for all member states and their interests. It absolutely is not. From its inception, the UN was established in order to uh, increase the global influence of U.S. foreign policy across the state. We know that the U.S. was uh, fundamental in terms of establishing the UN in 1945. And at that time, the U.S. President Roosevelt, he insisted that veto power be given to certain member states within the UN organization so that no action no important action military action could be taken without their joint consent and this was unnegotiable in his eyes so the power of world affairs became sealed in the hands of these five major permanent powers within the security council of the un so america and britain and france and china and russia so that no important military action could be taken without their consent so let's look at these five member states Subhanallah, we've already talked about how the U.S. is Israel's, sorry, the Jewish entity's, you know, um, favorite friend and how it's supported yeah. and uh, with everything over the years. Britain, who was involved in establishing the foothold of the Zionist entity. You know, the Balfour Declaration that talked about the British government's full support of establishing a Jewish homeland within the heart of Palestine. France, that's waging its own war against Muslims and Islam on its own home, home soil. Russia that's killing tens of thousands of Muslims in Syria You know, and China that has incarcerated over one million Uyghur Muslims Do you really think that any of these m- member states of the UN Security Council give one iota what happens to the blood and, of the Palestinian Muslims or their sacred sites like Al-Aqsa? Of course they don't The second fantasy is that the UN truly sincerely cares for human needs, for humanitarian issues and for justice ha- Really? After all of its legacy of failure of protecting the blood of Muslims in Syria and Yemen and Myanmar and in East Turkestan and and in in Kashmir and the list goes on and on. And all of this is not surprising because we know that the Security Council member states only stand and do what's in their political economic interests. And because, you know, on the capitalist system. It's uh, a material value, material gain trumps over everything else, including human need and human life and human dignity. So really, to believe that the UN is going to do anything for the Palestinian Muslims is also the height of uh, political naivety. And there's a saying in Mm -hmm. English that says the definition of madness is doing the same thing again and again and thinking that you will get other results from it. And as a Muslim, you know, Allah tells us that this is not the nature of the Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ said the Muslim is not stung from the same hole twice. So let's stop putting, you know, any hopes of the kind of promises the UN puts. Because really, like I say, it's a master of deception, diversion and distraction in terms of solving the real problems that we have as an ummah. her
1: Sister Nasreen. A viewer agreeing with yourself, saying, I agree. How can we as Muslims call on the people who created the Zionist state for help or support? Um, so uh, it seems that the point that you have made there is very clear to the viewers. Uh, and there's a lot of agreement out there as well, inshallah. So Sister Saria, coming back to yourself, what needs to be done to stop these repeated assaults against Al-Aqsa and the attacks on our brothers and sisters of Palestine
4: once and for all? Clearly, the reality of these attacks are military attacks. The, the, the Zionist, the Jewish entity and their military arsenal is completely assaulting and bombarding Gaza. And repeatedly, every time this happens, it seems to be there should be a political response to such attacks. But the fact of the matter is, with a military response, it would be only expected that it should be met by another military response as well. And so therefore, the Muslim armies across the Muslim world, they need to be bonding and stepping up to this situation in Palestine. There's an expectation that the Muslims have upon our Muslim armies that they do take out this responsibility and liberate the realities of the occupation of Palestine by the Jewish entity that is illegally existing there as what has been discussed already as a result of the um, United Nations, the Balfour mm-hmm. Declaration, the British, and so forth, that have brought it in, into It's It's a foreign entity and it's a cancer that needs to be removed. And so, you know, would, would any other civilization expect other than a military response? For example, with Britain, when Falkland, Falkland Islands was occupied, they responded militarily. They didn't go mm-hmm. to the United Nations knowing that there's that, you know, um, in inequality with the security will you know approve or disapprove of any military response um, or in the case of the Iraq war, just have America overstep the United Nations and just you know occupy Iraq illegally in absence of any United nations uh, resolutions. So we know that it, it's obvious that the, the reality should be a military response a m- military um, problem, and so we urgently call upon the muslim armies to respond to this it's it's within their means it's within their capabilities that they have that the muslim armies tens of millions with their military arsenal abilities and and, and we rather than having them locked in their barracks uh, as a result of these corrupt regimes furthermore that there, they should, should be responding and we know the minarets furthermore of al-aqsa they have been calling to the islamic nations calling for the likes of Salahideen al Ayyubi to be able to liberate um, Palestine once again, inshallah. And of course the history of Islam is long as as far as, you know, if they need any, you know, good role models to refer to as far as strong Islamic generals go, we know that we have the likes of Muhammad al Fatih General Salahuddin al-Ayubi, as I mentioned, Muhammad bin Qasim, they have all bravely liberated the Muslim Islam- and Islamic clans. And so, as I was mentioning, we know that that, it's being, that these Muslim armies are being held back by these puppet rulers in the regime, and they obviously are the line that creates the ability for the existence of the Zionist entity to continue existing. And They're its shadow. Without these regimes, um, the the Zionist entity itself would not exist. So we know their significance as far as maintaining the existence of of this Zionist entity. And we can also see during the previous Trump administration, furthermore, when there was that whole normalization process of the 21st century that he wanted to go ahead with um, in terms of acknowledging the existence of this Jewish entity, we saw the likes of the UAE step up and, and uh, accept that agreement. Morocco, Sudan, you know, wanting to be taken off as a, as a terrorist state um, in return, of course, for any economic gains and benefits they think that they'll achieve in this life as a result. So um, we can see that as a result of this normalization process, um, the, these regimes have truly tried to strengthen the hand and the position of, of this sign of in the Middle East. Um, but Mm -hmm. what the Ummah really needs as far as dealing with the realities of the situation in Palestine, and of course, not only Palestine, which is the the topic of discussion today. We know there's so many hot points uh, and crises across the Muslim world, but is they, they require not, they require this uh, true Islamic leadership, the true Hilafah modship that will restore the peace and safety and security once again to those who are living under occupation and oppression and experience the injustices and the innocence of civilians that aren't able to protect themselves the women the children in gaza that are being bombed and killed this uh Khilafah model will certainly be that true leadership that will be able to defend islam inshallah defend islam our sacred site masjid al aqsa that's been occupied and we know how precious the blood of muslims is furthermore more precious as we know the hadith of rasul also, some described when looking at the holy sanctities with, within Mecca. So that is the true response that we need. And inshallah, the Muslim armies out there uh, uh, listen to the cries of the ummah, because the ummah will be beside behind them 100%, just waiting for that uh, response inshallah as well. JazakAllah for that great summary
1: there Sister Suraya in terms of uh, the confidence if if the military need any, the Muslim armies out there, in terms of the great examples that they can explore, that they can look into, that they can invest into, uh, to mobilise themselves in the way that they need to, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As you said, the Muslim military, uh, if any of them out there are listening to us today, they have a much ability, and uh, Subhanallah, there's so much more that they can research for themselves if they need to. Um, and you're right; it's time to break away from the prophet systems and rulers, and to refer to Islam and engage with Islam. So, Sister Sarah, uh, coming back to yourselves, sometimes as Muslims, we feel helpless when we see what is happening to our Ummah in Palestine, and to think that all we can do is make du'a and give donations to help our brothers and sisters there. Uh, What would you say to those who may feel like
3: this, that feel helpless in this manner? Yes, so um, mashallah, the Ummah is sincere and very generous, especially when they see that their sisters and brothers are suffering, whether it's in Kashmir, whether it's in Somalia, whether it's in Syria or Palestine or elsewhere. Um, and both the du'a and charity are part of our deen. Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi said that du'a is worship. And in Surah Al-Hadid, verse 18, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala said about sadaqah, indeed, those men and women who give in charity and lend to Allah a good loan will have it multiplied for them, and they will have such an honorable reward. And there are other ayat and hadith that implore us as Muslims to make du'a to our rab. And this includes asking him, to remove affliction and oppression from those suffering, as well as on the importance of giving charity to help alleviate the poverty or suffering uh, to those who need it. As Muslims, we should continue to make dua and give to trusted friends and our charity to help those. However, we should look at the reality of the situation we're in and look to the examples of our past. Is giving charity and making dua really, is that enough? When we, when we're what is happening in the West Bank and even more so in Gaza, we can clearly see that the millions of dollars that we have raised over the past decades has not, uh, has not. I'm sorry. Um, Sure, that's fine, sister. Has not, yeah, no, there's a pop-up. Uh, I'm sorry. So I really sure, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> we can see that, you know, the, the millions of dollars that we have raised over the past decades has not taken our sisters and brothers out of poverty. It has not helped them gain security or protected them against the guns and the bombs of the Zionist occupiers. We have sent money to build homes, to build hospitals, to build schools, etc., um, only to have them forcibly taken or destroyed. So how many times should we send money or rebuild houses and hospitals? You know, today we'll build it, but tomorrow, you know, they'll just destroy them. On top of that, the Palestinian people do not have authority over themselves. The Zionist entity does, and they have a blockade in Gaza, which prevents food, supplies, medicines, etc. We are sending from ever reaching the people that they're supposed to help. According to the 2020 Human Rights uh, Watch report, the the Israeli government has continued to enforce severe and discriminatory restrictions on the Palestinian people, restricting the movement of people and goods into and out of Gaza Strip. They have limited the access to educational, economic, and other opportunities, uh, medical care, clean water, and electricity for the nearly 2 million Palestinians who live in Gaza. So the giving of charity is not a solution to stopping the ongoing oppression um, and, uh, you know, and occupation of Palestine. In fact, their situation has and will continue to worsen as long as they remain under a Zionist occupation. You know, before the Battle of Badr, the Muslims did not just sit back and pray for success against the Quraysh. Yes, they made dua, but alongside the dua, they prepared militarily for what was going to come, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered their du'as by sending the angels to help them win the battle on what looked like a definitive loss for them. That is because action must always go alongside the du'as we are making. Or like in the Battle of Kanda. Despite there being a relative respite for the Muslims at the time, Prophet Muhammad continued to gather intelligence about what was happening around. It was in this way that the Muslims were prepared for the Quraysh and the Jewish tribes, of Medina, uh, and the Jewish tribes to raid Medina. He, salallahu alayhi wa sallam, did not sit idly by, making dua for continued peace and security, but continued to make preparations based on the intelligence that he received. Our sisters have not been asking for our money, but have repeatedly been calling for the Ummah to send a Muslim army to come and liberate them. They are calling out for Salahuddin to come and liberate them. We should take heed of their call and support them in any way we can. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman reported the Prophet ﷺ said, "By the One in whose hand is my soul, you must enjoin good and forbid evil, or else Allah will soon send punishment upon you." then you will call upon Allah and it will not be answered for you. SubhanAllah. If we want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to answer our du'as to lift the oppression and occupation from our sisters and brothers in Palestine, then we must also put forth an action. For for lay men and women, that means calling our Muslim armies to march forth to Jerusalem and fight the occupiers until the victory comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of the practical actions we can take now alongside giving charity and making dua are to reach out to those we may know in the Muslim armies and remind them of their duty to the ummah, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they should be the ones who are marching towards al-Aqsa and not sitting idly by watching the oppression of their sisters and brothers. We should discuss this vital issue of uprooting the current treacherous rulers and regimes in the Muslim lands and replace them with, uh, with the Khilafah state with our you know, we should discuss this with our family, our friends, our acquaintances, et cetera. Using all avenues, whether it's passing along information on social media, holding discussions within our communities, writing articles, giving lectures, and or reaching out to our local imams and community leaders to address these issues. JazakAllah, Sister Sarah.
1: Um, That was a uh, question that you answered uh, subhanAllah very well and very concisely. Um, Du'a and donations are crucial but at the same time so are our actions and that is something that is very important for the viewers out there to take away, to consider, to think about and to elaborate on in terms of how in their actions can they facilitate the work and the need for bringing peace and security to the Muslims of Palestine and the Ummah at large. So Sister Nasreen, coming to yourself, can you explain how the Islamic leadership of the Khilafah would be able to liberate Al-Aqsa and the whole of Palestine? Uh, Because some may argue that the superpowers of today would never allow this to happen. Also, I had a question uh, from the viewers, which I shall put to yourself uh, right now as well. So um, Christian Palestinians are also being targeted by the Zionist state, albeit a small percentage. Would you still call it an Islamic issue? So if you can answer that question whilst you're answering the other one for me.
0: Okay, JazakAllah khair, and JazakAllah to the sister for the question as well. So the first and most important point, uh, sister, is that the Khilafah has the political will to liberate al-Aqsa and every single inch of Palestine and all occupied lands, and also to defend Muslims no matter where they live. And this is because it is the true Islamic leadership, the true Islamic system, and it genuinely, genuinely represents the interests of Muslims and our deen. In fact, the Khilafah is obliged by Islam to protect the Muslims and the deen of Islam. The Prophet ﷺ said, only the Imam, the Khalifa, is a shield behind whom you fight and you protect yourselves with, reported by Muslim And Imam Nawawi, in terms of uh, commenting on this hadith, he says that the shield is like a cover, cover for those behind him. Because the Imam or the Khalifa is the cover which prevents the enemy from harming the Muslims. And this is by leading the army, protecting the borders and organizing the jihad. And note that the Hadith emphasizes this word only. Only the Khalifa is the shield for the Muslims, innama negating that anything other than the Khalifa can be the protection for the Muslims or the deen. So not the UN, not the Western powers, not the OIC or the Arab League or the presidents and prime ministers of secular states today who implement Kufr, only the Khalif who implements the system of Islam completely can be the shield for the Muslims. So this is the first crucial point. The Khilafah has the political will to stand for Islam unlike the rulers and regimes of the Muslim world today who only stand for themselves or stand for the interests of their Western masters. Like Turkey as an example, who in 2016, you know, sent planes to help the Zionist entity put out wildfires. Wildfires in the very land that it occupies, while, you know, it cannot send planes to protect the Muslims of Palestine or Al-Aqsa. You know, Turkey, which can, uh, you know, accepts to deploy its troops to Libya to show up support for the UN-backed government in Libya and yet cannot send those same armed troops to Palestine to protect this blessed land and protect the Muslims there. Or you have, for example, the, uh, you know, the Saudi Arabia and the UAE who can drop bombs on the heads of innocent Muslims and innocent children in Yemen, but cannot use that same arsenal in order to defend the third holiest site for us as Muslims, in our Aqsa. You have Pakistan that can outsource its army to the US to fight its war of, war of terror against Muslims, to kill Muslims in Pakistan Afghanistan, but cannot use its military and send them to defend the Muslims of Palestine. Or Egypt, that uses its military to terrorize its own people, like we saw in the rubber massacre, but cannot use it uh, to defend Muslims in a neighboring land. This is the difference between the Khilafah and between the regimes of today. The Khilafah has the political will to stand for Islam and protect the Muslims. And because it has the political will, it will use everything in its arsenal in order to liberate Al-Aqsa and every inch of Palestine and Kashmir and all other occupied lands and defend the Muslims. And co- which comes to my second point, which is that mm-hmm. arsenal that the Khilafah will have will be huge. It will be huge because it will unify the Muslim lands under one Islamic leadership, will, will enjoy huge resources, huge manpower, a huge army, and uh, really strategic and economic strengths. I mean, the standing army of the unified Muslim lands alone will be, one, will be 4.7 million. Subhanallah, Pakistan alone, The army of pakistan is bigger than the british french and german armies combined it's four times larger than the zionist entity's army subhanallah that is the reality of our army turkey's second largest army in nato and yet none of this this is used today the muslim lands hold almost 75 percent of the oil of the world 75 percent over 50 percent of the world's gas The Khilafah will use this as leverage against any state that dares to support the Zionist entity or any occupying state over the Muslim lands. In terms of strategic locations, the the, uh, Strait of Hormuz between the Persian Mm. Gulf and between the Gulf of Oman, 40% of the world's oil goes through this strait. The Suez Canal in Egypt One of the most strategic locations that connects markets from Asia into the Mediterranean and to Europe. You know, the panic it caused when one tanker got stuck, you know, a month, a couple of months ago, right, in the Suez Canal. So again, the khilaf will use this leverage against any state that dares to support uh, occupations of the Muslim lands. And of course, the massive manpower that we have of the 1.6 billion Muslims unified under one leadership. SubhanAllah, the Khilafah would use all of this potential and harness it for the service of the deen and the service of the Muslims, inshallah. And just picture it, brothers and sisters, just picture this. That in the, on the establishment of the Khilafah, imagine that the wilaya of Egypt, one of the provinces of Egypt under Khilafah, instead of aiding, the siege of Gaza, according to the will of the Jewish entity, would send its tanks towards the Rafa crossing to defend, you know, to aid their brothers and sisters in Palestine. SubhanAllah. Can you imagine under the Khilafah, the wilayah of Turkey, the province of Turkey, instead of giving troops in the service of NATO would use those same troops and dispatch its aircrafts and its fighter planes and battleships towards Palestine to protect Al-Aqsa. Can you imagine under the Khilafah, the wilayah of Pakistan instead ends its cooperation with the US and instead uses its military to support Muslims in Kashmir and put Muslims in, Kash- in Palestine elsewhere. And the wealth of the uh, Gulf states under the Khilafah to be used to finance all of this. This doesn't have to be a dream. This will be a reality under the Khilafah, inshallah. And as for the idea that superpowers would not allow this, they would have no choice but to accept it. Why? Because they would be facing a new uh, world power, a world power with a formidable army, well-trained, well-equipped army. They would no longer, these so-called superpowers of the U.S. would no longer have access to the bases and the airspace and the land space and the waterways in the Muslim lands which they've used to launch wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Khalifa would not allow this This basis would be closed mm. And these superpowers most importantly Of today would be facing An army that would have the support Of the lord of the worlds inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshallah. Who promises his support to those who fight In his cause and Allah says in Surah Maidah and whoever is an ally Of Allah and his messenger those who, would, those who have believed Indeed the party of Allah They will be predominant, they will be victorious so really, this is how the Khilafah, inshallah, would liberate Al-Aqsa and every aspect of Muslim lands. And we see this in the past. We see this in the Battle of hatin under Salahuddin Ayyubi. We see this in the Battle of al Anjulut, where the Muslims were outnumbered against a massive Tatar army and yet gained victory because they fought under the rule of Islam. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to liberate occupied Muslim lands. And as for your question from the sister regarding is this an Islamic issue, absolutely it's an Islamic issue. It's not a Palestinian issue, it's not an Arab issue, it's an Islamic issue. Al-Aqsa is the third holiest site for us Muslims, the first Qibla of Islam, the place of al-Isra wal-Miraj, right? Mm. Palestine generally is a blessed land for us. So this is linked to our Aqidah as Muslims, the liberation of Al-Aqsa, liberation of every inch of Palestine. In terms of the Christian minorities within that area, the Khilafah is the only system that can produce security for this land. Only system, as we see in history, right? You know, when Islam came to the whole land, we saw, um, we saw Muslims, Christians and Jews living side by side in peace. It's the only system. The Khilafah is not just needed for the Muslims, it's needed for the world. Because it's the only system that will ensure justice in this world and will liberate uh, people, general people, from oppression. So absolutely, this is the Khilaf, it has the political will and it has the ability and the arsenal to be able to liberate every inch of Muslim lands, inshallah, and create peace for for all.
1: Jazakallah, Sister Nasreen. Um, Coming to yourself, Sister Sarah, with my last and final question for today's discussion. What would be your call to the Muslims um, about how we should respond to these attacks against Al-Aqsa and this brutal Zionist occupation of this blessed land of Palestine?
3: Yes, um, so there are three main points um, I would like to address here. The first would be, to call for the immediate removal of the illegitimate puppet rulers who do nothing more than safeguard their Western masters' interests in the region at the expense of the Ummah, who behave as shameless mercenaries that sell themselves at any price, accepting any solution in return for the protection of their thrones and their wealth. This has been ongoing for the last 70 hours. The role of the rulers of the Muslim lands has been marked by nothing but betrayal against the people of the blessed land. Other than crying fake tears of grief and delivering empty rhetoric, all the powerful Muslim countries literally have done nothing against the Zionist entity. If anything, they have actually allowed the Zionist entity to expand its occupation. Their calls for one state or two state solution or the, or calls to the UN or the Arab League and other international bodies are nothing but excuses used to hide their treachery and inaction. The second would be for the armies of the Muslim lands to mobilize in defense of the Ummah, the Deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and to liberate Masjid al-Aqsa in Palestine. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah An-Nisa, verse 75, And what is the matter with you, that you fight not in the cause of Allah and for the oppressed among men, women, and children, who say, Our Lord, take us out of this city of oppressive people and appoint for us from yourself a protector and a point for us from yourself a helper and also in surah at tawbah verses 38 and 39 allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says o believers what is the matter with you that when you are asked to march forth in the cause of allah you cling firmly to your land. Do you prefer the life of this world over the hereafter? The enjoyment of this worldly life is insignificant compared to that of the hereafter. If you do not march forth, he will afflict you with a painful torment and replace you with other people. You are not harming him in the least, and Allah is most capable of everything. Liberating all of the blessed land is obligatory upon the sons of Islam who are capable Those are the armed forces of the Muslims. It is forbidden to leave a single inch of land under occupation, regardless of any circumstances or any number of worldly justifications. Masjid al-Aqsa and our sisters and brothers of the blessed land, (coughs) excuse me, of our blessed land, Uh, are still crying out for you, your faith and bravery. So answer the one who is calling you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and go and liberate it. There is no honor in the world and the hereafter that is more than this action. So don't pay attention to criminal rulers who who advocate treason and negligence, but be sincere soldiers defending your ummah. It's sanctities, Masjid al-Aqsa, and Allah is with you and he will reward you for it. As part of the Ummah, we should use any means that we have at our disposal, whether it be via our contacts, to those who are part of the Muslim armies or via social media to get the word out to the brave sons of the Muslim armies to mobilize and march forth towards Jerusalem and fight the usurping Zionist entity and liberate the blessed land and its people from the brutal oppression that they have forced uh, them to live under for decades. And the third and final point is for the Mm Ummah, to work to establish the Khilafah on the method of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa If we want to remove the oppressive occupation, then we must call for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called for, and that is to implement what He subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. It is due to the absence of the state that our sisters and brothers have been suffering at the hands of the Zionist entity. Whether we're living in the East or the West, it's our duty as Muslims to unite in this cause and strive in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to establish his blessed and just system. It is the only system that can use its military to end the Zionist occupation and restore justice, peace, and security to the people of Palestine and to to the world. Therefore, if we truly want to liberate Al-Aqsa and end the occupation of Palestine, then we must place our full efforts on the urgent establishment of the Islamic leadership of the Khilafah State upon the method of the Prophet. Um,
1: Jazakallah sister Sarah for concluding our discussion today so precisely, so concisely um, and with so much clarity that the only system that will bring peace and prevail is the system of Islam, the system of uh, the Khilafah state, and that is the only time that justice, peace and security will come to the Ummah at large, to the people of Palestine specifically, and to the world and mankind at large as well. I would like to end by saying Jazakallah to all my dear panelists for joining me today. Um, And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you immensely and put lots of barakah into your time and effort for today and for all the work that you do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's been difficult to watch here and know the reality of what is happening and unraveling in Palestine. But we must at this time remember that the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will most definitely come and is most definitely near. But the question remains, who will be blessed and honoured enough to give of of the deen, the callers of the system of Islam, and the work of the re-establishment of the Hilafa State in the footsteps of our Wadiya, beloved Prophet Muhammad. Before I end today's discussion, I would also like to bring to the attention of the viewers um, the two events that have been organised in Britain um, in uh, one in Birmingham and one in London today between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m., which are emergency protests. Um, I urge the Ummah of the uh, United Kingdom, Kingdom to come and join these events today. The one in Birmingham is at the Pakistan consulate, um, which is on Bridge Street in Birmingham. And the one in London is in East London today at Tab Ali Park, which is on Alder Street. For any further information and updates on these protests, please go to the Hizb tahrir Britain Facebook page and there are further and more details that can be found on those Facebook pages. I would also like to just end by saying JazakAllah ahead to my viewers for joining us today for your involvement in the discussions, uh, both on YouTube and Facebook. I have been following your comments and your questions, and hopefully we've responded to as much as we could, inshallah, on air today. Please keep us in your du'as, and please keep our dear Ummah in your du'as too.